0: All right, let's turn our attention to Romans chapter 14. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. If you are a guest here with us today or you're watching online for the first time, uh, you'll, you'll see that we take great um, reverence great for the Bible. We don't worship the Bible, we just believe that God speaks to us through His Word. So we started the worship service. Kyler stood up and read from the Bibles, our call to worship. Today we'll stand and read just to say we honor God's Word. And you'll notice that the sermon will be a lot like a Bible study. We're just going to go through what does the Bible say. That becomes the authority. Not my words. The Bible is our authority and gives direction to our life. So with that said, grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not done from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Join me as we pray. Father, thank you for the Lord's Day and for the church. Thank you for the many that that have felt cleared to come and worship. Lord, we pray that you would bless this time, and, and for those that are engaging online, that you would heal our hearts, that we would, we would rejoice in the goodness you've given us in Jesus. Make us strong. God, help us to be serious-minded Christians. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I mentioned serious-minded, but we also want to be clear-minded, and every clear-minded Christian... Feels the tension in the air. Whether it's pandemics or politics or religious freedom. you, You can just pick any number of issues that many of us hold close. If you, as a Christian, we believe that abortion is, that abortion is murder, that racism is a sin. That marriage is to be held between one man and one woman for all time. That there are all kinds of issues that spring out of Christianity. We, We hold these truths not because we are issue driven people, but because we are Bible believing Christians. And as Christians, we are not strangers to swimming upstream from the culture. We know that we live in a cultural flood that is going one way and following Jesus takes us just the other way. We trust, we're able to do this with hope because we trust that this world is not our home and Caesar is not our Lord. Jesus is our Lord and it is His kingdom that consumes us. It's why this passage is so, so fitting. It's, it's the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a group of Christians floating in a sea of paganism in a city named Rome. Remember, when we read something, we have it in its context. Who is it written to? What's going on there? What did it mean for them? And then how does it apply to us? So Paul writes to a group of Christians they're floating in this sea of paganism in a city called Rome. There in Rome, life is not valued, sex is not sacred, and Christ is not welcome. It's very similar to where we live. And Paul writes this letter, and especially this passage, and it's like he's putting his hand up, up underneath Struggling Christians. It's like he's putting his hand underneath our chins and lifting the heads of weary Christians and saying to you, get your eyes up and see the exalted Jesus. This week, as I've been reading through the Bible, I'm almost through Revelation. I started in Revelation chapter one. And one of the things you see in Revelation chapter one, by the way, it's Revelation, the Revelation, not Revelations. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And chapter one has the exalted Jesus. And here it's like the Apostle Paul is saying, you need to get your eyes up and see Jesus. See the one who loves you. This is for for Christians. This is primarily for Christian people today. See the one who loves you, who died for you, who has redeemed you. Go there to the cross and stand in amazement. And then get serious about Jesus building, using you to build his kingdom. Not with politics and not with arguments, but with strength and grace and the gospel. We are a lot of things as Christians. We have issues we hold dear and will stand for. But above all of those things, we are gospel people above all. That means before you become identified primarily with an issue. Make sure that you are serious about Christ and him crucified. Because I think I think that I think that the days ahead. I think in the days ahead, your devotion to the crucified, resurrected Messiah will be tested I think that the church in the days ahead will be tested. And the church, the, when I say church, I mean the gathered body of believers in Jesus, the Lord's church, the church that has been purchased and established and built by the Lord himself. The Lord's church is built on this one truth that Jesus is Lord And Christ has promised that He will build His church and the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, if Jesus is that serious about building His church, shouldn't His followers? Shouldn't His followers follow? This is a serious, this is a serious-minded call for serious Christians. Let me tell you something about serious-minded Christians. Serious, serious-minded Christians get serious about Christ. Now, there'll be lots of other things that we are serious about, but primarily and above all of those things are going to be our seriousness about Jesus Christ and the gospel. Let me give you five characteristics from the, from the text. I say five. We'll see how much time we got. I'll give you some characteristics Of a serious-minded Christian. Number one, what does he look like? What does she look like? Number one, we live to bring peace. Do you see that in verse 19? You probably already see that. Verse 19, notice what Paul says in verse 19. See that little phrase? So then, okay, he is summarizing everything he said in chapter 14. He's bringing it down to a point and he's saying, now this is how you apply everything I've been teaching you back in chapter 14. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace. Paul writes this. You'll notice he writes this as a command. He includes himself and he uses strong words. Let us pursue. You see that word? You might even want to circle it. Pursue peace. Pursue means to chase, means to to hunt down. It's oftentimes used in the New Testament to talk about persecutors, pursuing those who they're persecuted. That's a negative way to use it. But here it has this real intense chasing to, to chase after something until you get it. Let me see if I can illustrate it. In our home, Connie and I have a pure, purebred beagle dog. In fact, I got that dog from somebody at this campus eight years ago. That beagle dog uh, used to be able to catch squirrels. He would love to hunt squirrels in our yard. Years have caught up with him and a whole lot of good dog food have caught up with him. Now he's too old and too big around to be able to catch squirrels anymore. So he's gone to catching moles. Much easier to catch. A mole's underneath the ground tearing up the yard. So if he gets a scent of a mole, he starts howling and puts his face to the ground and starts digging in such a furious way and howling till his head is all, all the way in the ground and he has dug the Panama Canal trying to get to all. He goes, out, and he's un, you cannot stop that dog. A single-minded, obsessive pursuit. That's the word, Paul says, pursue peace. Pursue what makes for peace. When we say peace, what do we mean? I'm talking about peace in the body, a peace Peace that comes with being with God. We talked about it last week. The peace with God that becomes the peace of God. believe that peace with God comes from the gospel. So we, we trust the gospel. We preach the gospel. We, when we talk about the gospel, if you're a guest, here's what I mean. When we talk about the gospel, we mean that God is holy and man is so sinful, he's separated from God in his sinful state, he has no hope. Jesus Christ lived perfectly, died on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead. Any sinner that repents and puts her faith in Jesus will be saved. We believe that is the gospel. And we believe that that is the only way to actually have peace with God. So we pursue the peace with God for people, with the gospel, so that they then might have the peace of God. But you won't have the peace of God unless you have peace with God, and you can't have the peace with God until you know Jesus Christ. It's what we believe as Christians. But once you have peace with God, you know the peace of God, which means giving strength and strength in adversity. Man, how many people in our churches, how many of you need Strength to walk through the adversity. How many of you need to show some humble affection to a brother or sister that's struggling? How many of you need to to give genuine concern? How many of us here need a real lasting hope for tomorrow? Now when I say pursuing peace, I don't mean peace at all cost. Which smothers the truth. I mean peace at the ultimate cost which is the cross of Jesus. And if you and I are God's people for God's children, then we remember that this this, health, this soul peace is a gift from God. So many times the Apostle Paul, when he would write most of the New Testament, is really letters Paul wrote to the churches. And so often when he writes the churches, he closes out his letter and he talks about peace because he believed in the God of peace. He, he reminds them to have, to pursue peace. For instance, when he wrote to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter four, verse nine, he goes to finish it. And Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Or, or when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, the second letter, second Thessalonians chapter three, verse 16, Paul writes, now may the. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way, the Lord be with you all. One of the things that we should have learned through all of what we've walked through the last eight months is we don't take the peace of God for granted. Verse 19, we were reminded to pursue it, to go after it, to chase it, to hunt it. To chase the peace of God. You know, it's so easy in this world, we get so distracted by chasing other things. Serious minded Christians, and I'm hoping that's what you want to be, maybe what you are, serious minded Christians get serious about Christ and we run after peace with God so that we might have the peace of God. Let me show you another characteristic. You'll find it right there in verse 19. You probably have already picked it out. Not only are we running after peace, number two, we work to build up. We work to build up. This may be, at least for me, I've experienced it. This is the most important for me so far. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 19. See what he says? Let us pursue what makes for peace and let us pursue what makes for mutual upbuilding. The building up of one another. I'd like for you to take a pencil and just maybe circle that phrase, building up, building. Paul often talks about the church as a building and each member as bricks in that building or living stones in that building. Paul uses that phrase, building up. He uses it, um, in fact, it's 18 times, it's in the New Testament. Paul uses it 15 times, so it's an important phrase to Paul. And it, it's like he's telling us, you can never underestimate the power of genuine Christian encouragement. Now, when I say genuine Christian encouragement, I don't, I don't just mean compliments. Compliments are nice. I don't mean just saying nice things. It's good to have a good tone in what you say and be nice to people. All that, That's true. That's not Christian encouragement. When I say Christian encouragement, I mean Christ-centered, gospel, gospel-centered gospel-saturated, life-giving words that you say to someone else. You can never know. I mean, just take the people sitting here or watching online. You can never know how badly someone needs a life-giving, gospel-centered word from you. I started my day before church. Deacon came up to me. And you never know what's going to happen when a Deacon comes up to you. A deacon came up to me and before church. And the things out of his mouth were so encouraging and gospel-centered and life-giving. It made me ready. It wasn't, wasn't complimentary. It was all about what the Lord Jesus is doing, this goodness of God. It was encouraging to me. Now, look, you can never know how someone close to you in this church will benefit from A Christ-centered encouraging word from you. A lot of times when Connie goes out of town, I have the chance to watch uh, documentaries. So I watch documentaries about World War II, World War I, the French Revolution, history of England, whatever. I watch them all. I can't ever get Connie to watch a documentary with me, but we ran up on one the other day called The Iron Cowboy. Iron Cowboy. It's not what I thought it was going to be. Iron Cowboy is about a about uh, an athlete, a super athlete, that uh, runs triathlons. And he decided to run 50 Ironman triathlons in 50 days in 50 states in the United States of America. Uh, Who in the world? I mean, the training he put into this, they they plotted it all out. And as we watched, he got through about halfway through the 50 triathlons, that he was trying to run. And about 25 in, his body was actually getting stronger. He was was becoming uh, used to doing this, and he was actually, his times were reducing. But because he had made some sort of mistake in the charity he was trying to raise money for, he he was being insulted uh, in social media. And all of these insults and naysayers, they just about broke him. I mean, just mentally, physically, he was doing better mentally. And there's this one scene where he's just laying on the sidewalk, covering his head, because he just doesn't think he's actually going to make it mentally. He had one, had several kids, uh, beautiful children. And his 11-year-old daughter came up, and I don't know what she said to him. She gave him some word of encouragement. And that word of encouragement made him turn the corner and actually finish the 50 Ironmans in 50 states. Now, I don't know if those people are Christians or not. How much more if it's actually Christ-centered and gospel-driven encouragement? How much more if you give the words of life that point people to the real hope and real strength and, and, and real endurance that we have in Jesus Christ? Don't you want to be known as someone that's crystal clear on the gospel and a genuine source of building people up? Building up. What do I mean? I mean, I mean, strengthening someone when she's weak. I mean, supporting someone when he's suffering. I mean, I mean, comforting somebody when hurting. I mean, confronting a sister that's in sin. Listening to a brother that wants to talk. Empathizing, even if you don't understand the situation, and maybe even disagree with it. Empathizing with someone that's suffering. Pursuing a, a backslidden brother that hasn't been around in some time. Going after that brother. Tolerating somebody when they're actually getting on your nerves, but you know they need genuine fellowship. Counseling. Counseling someone that needs. Guidance, carrying someone that's just broken down emotionally. Celebrating someone who has victory over a sin. Correcting someone who is doctrinally in error. Contacting someone you haven't heard from in a long time. Interceding for someone that needs your prayers. Challenging someone that's gotten lazy spiritually. Serving someone that needs your help. Sacrificing for someone To see them come closer to Jesus, praying for someone that's struggling through a crisis in life, enjoying someone that needs real Christian friendship, noticing. Noticing someone that slips through the cracks, investing, taking your life that God has blessed, giving you grace, and pouring that into someone else. Let's not forget now that we are people that at one time were dead in sin and by God's grace, we've been made alive in Christ and we have a responsibility to build up. You see, when serious-minded Christians get serious about Christ and His church, we, we run after peace, peace with God that brings the peace of God, and we work to build up brothers and sisters. I'm going to give you a third characteristic of serious-minded Christians. Number three, if you're keeping score. Number three, we live, we live the mission. We live the mission. We understand that our calling as Christians is not only to support missionaries, but we, in a sense, become that. We, we become people that are living on mission. When you, um, when you look at verse 20 and 21... Those two verses say the same thing. Verse 20 has a negative feel. Verse 21 has a little more positive. They actually are saying the same thing. Verse 20 starts negatively. Let's read it. <clears throat> do not, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Okay, verse 21. It is good. See how positive? It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Look, look with me quickly at what not to do in verse 20. What not to do. Do you see it? Look, look at verse 20. Do not destroy. Do not abolish is the word. That word abolish is what the word Jesus used when he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. That's the word. Do not cancel. You might use that do not cancel what? Verse 20. The work of God. Now pay attention to that. Pay close attention to that phrase, work of God. It is not completely unique, but it is almost unique. In other words, it is used one other time, that phrase, work of God, is used one other time in the Bible. It's a strong phrase. And when Paul uses and talks about the work of God, the ergon of God, the Ergon is where we get the word um, ergonomics, the, the putting together, it actually functions. The work of God. He's talking about individual people specifically, and he's talking about the church in general. Now, go back, armed with that thought, go back to verse 20 and notice what he's saying. Read it. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy people and the church. The work of God. Do not for the sake of dietary concerns. Maybe uh, he's, he's, talking, he's talking to strong Christians that have in that fellowship people that came out of a Jewish background that maybe were holding on to the Levitical laws and the strong Christians felt free to eat whatever they wanted. But you do that in front of this Jewish Christian, he still, his conscience won't let him. So Paul says you need to make sure you don't destroy the work of God in that that Christian's heart for the sake of food, For, for the sake of things that are really not that important. Make sure that you're not making a third and fourth tier issue something primary. We've got to be careful in the Christian world here in the church. You've got to be careful that we don't pull out the nuclear weapon on a brother that disagrees with you on a matter that is not necessarily fundamentally or or doctrinal matter. That, That person, it's good for you to think of them as the work of God. That person, this church is the work of God. And we can't let some peripheral issue threaten the building of God's church and God's people. Now, I'm not saying you can't debate issues. I'm not saying you can't have strong opinions. A lot of us have a lot of strong opinions. I'm not saying you can't question someone else's stance in something, maybe that needs to be questioned. I'm saying that if all you are is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. It helps to think of people. It helps to think of people as brothers and sisters. In Christ it helps to use this phrase the work of God the next time you're in front of someone you need to say to yourself just say to yourself this person is the work of God if he's a Christian this person is the the regeneration God has worked it really helps to think of the church as the work of God and you don't want to destroy it you love the church you don't want to destroy it just because you've got a clearer and writer and better understanding of something notice what he says at the end of verse 20 and on in verse 21. We want to do all we can to make sure that this work of God, this person, is not stumbling. And then in verse 21, he gives three things that the strong person is to avoid out of consideration for the weak. Notice what he says. It is good not to eat meat. That's one of them. Not to drink wine. That's the second one. Or do anything else that causes your brother to stumble. Those three areas Paul lays out. First he says, it's good for you not to eat meat. Maybe because they're in Rome and that meat could have been sacrificed to a pagan idol. Or maybe because your Jewish brother or sister uh, still is holding on to the Old Testament and not, not able to break free yet. And so he says, Don't, you shouldn't eat in front of them. That's going to hurt them. Or drinking wine. The second one there in verse 21. Maybe that has to do with uh, pagan probably pagan worship in Rome, but it could have to do with, with drunkenness. I mean, this is, this is the reason that I don't drink, not because I think the actual consumption of alcohol is sinful, but that for me to do that would actually cause people to stumble. Here's a good place for the Christian conscience to be. And then notice how broad it gets in verse 21. And then Paul says, okay, lots of things I can't think of, anything else That might cause a brother to stumble. You see how widely Paul makes the point here? That this believer that's pursuing peace, you, someone that's trying to build up other people and build up the church, you will gladly abstain from any activity that might cause another fellow believer harm. We do that because we're living the mission. We we do that because we're building the work of God. We do that because we believe the gospel saves sinners. And the building of the church is part of what we do. Serious-minded Christians live the mission. i have given you three. Let me give you two more characteristics. I'll do it very quickly. Go make them short. Number four, here's the one that I maybe struggle with the most. Number four, what is a characteristic of a serious-minded Christian? Number four, we control our mouths. We control our mouths. Every thought in your brain doesn't have, have to come out of your mouth. If Every thought in my brain wants to come out of my mouth. Sometimes every thought in my brain slips out of my mouth or jumps out or I spit it out. Maybe that's, maybe that's more like it. Notice what Paul does here in verse 22. And in verse 22, Paul is addressing the strong believer. He's talking to the man that is confident in grace. He's free in Christ. He knows good theology And Paul here says, look, now you don't have to tell everything you know. Notice it with me, verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Paul says, you don't have to tell everything you know. You don't have to tell everything you know all the time. You don't have to display your views all the time for the world to see, even when those views are absolutely right If you do that, what's going to happen is people are going to be more impressed with your knowledge than they are with Jesus Christ. And what we're hoping to do is see people honor Christ. Sometimes, Paul just says in verse 22, that needs to be between you and God. Sometimes, we have to just give that to God and trust that in in His own good time, He will strengthen and grow brothers and sisters without you or I constantly correcting every single thing. It means living in a genuine awareness of your call to build up and pursue peace with other brothers and sisters, not to make them stumble and knock them down. Let me end here with one last characteristic, number five. The fifth characteristic of a serious minded Christian, number five. We get strong in the Lord. Isn't that what we we want, ultimately, to get strong in the Lord? You see, most of this passage, remember who it's written to. Most of this passage is aimed at the Christian who is strong in faith, calling him or her to be more careful in what you say and how you say it. But verse 23, Paul turns over, he This this verse turns to the Christian who really hasn't taken a hold of grace yet. And and her conscience is not fully informed by God's word. And and that conscience not being fully informed by God's word. And um, this is the believer that, that is not sure what the right thing to do and is afraid what I do here might be wrong, and then does it anyway. And Paul says that didn't come out of faith, and that's sin. What is faith? Faith is that Christian faith. Faith is that inner conviction that what you're doing is fully in line with your Christian faith. How do we gauge our behavior? It is the Christian conviction that what you are doing is fully in line with your Christian faith. And truthfully, if we're going to be serious minded Christians, then every act of our lives should be in light of that final sentence. We could take the back end of verse 23, take that final sentence. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That should guide everything we do. And it starts with you and I getting serious about Christ. For the the people listening today that are not Christians, when I say serious about Christ, I mean, I want you to know that God is holy. He is a loving, good God, all gracious, but He's holy. And that holiness means He doesn't tolerate sin. You've heard people say that God accepts me the way I am. He does not. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that He rejects sin and He sends sinners to hell when they're outside of Christ. That's why for us the gospel is so important, that gospel that tells us that not only is God holy, He's loving and He, he, he gave us Jesus who's perfect, lived perfectly in a way that we can. not And then at the cross, it's the great exchange, He took the sin of sinners and on the cross He took the wrath of God, all that holiness and wrath, all that anger at sin went to Jesus on the cross so that any sinner that will put his faith in Jesus as substitute. Jesus in my place. That person will be saved. And and when you're saved and you turn from your sin, you turn to Jesus, that means you now are living in grace that God has covered you with His grace. He forgives you and loves you, sustains you, will walk with you, will carry you, convict your heart when 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 you step out of line and you now start being serious about Christ. Now, I'm asking you to be serious about Jesus. To... To be somebody that's seeking to bring peace, find somebody this week that you won't have to look for, that needs genuine Christian building up, you giving words of encouragement to strengthen their soul. To stay on mission to be aware of the work of God around you, the work of God which is the church, the work of God which is other people, and we don't wanna do anything to destroy the work of God. We don't wanna do anything to make a brother or sister stumble so we live our lives by faith. That last little sentence, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We live our lives with a conviction. What we're doing is honoring to Jesus, good for the church, and furthers the gospel. That's the kind of of Christian I want to be. That's the kind of church I want to serve. I pray this week you start being a person that's serious about Christ. Will you join me as we pray together? With your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a time of of commitment. Before we sing today, we're going to keep singing in the worship service today. Before we do that, I just want you to think just as a moment of self-reflection where where you are. So let's say you're already a believer. Are Are you pursuing peace? Are you building up the church? Are you investing in other people? Are you living fully aware so that your life is not causing others to stumble? Are are you operating from a position of faith or are you trying to get to the edge of where sin is and what you can get away with? That's not living in faith. Living in faith is weighing every thought and moment and activity under your Christian conscience, your conviction of what the Bible says. Pray the Lord's grace be on your life as we seek to be serious-minded Christians. Father, thank you. Thank you for the love you give us in Jesus. Thank you for the Lord's day to gather with believers. Lord, I pray that you make us people that honor the name of Jesus here at Hickory Grove. In Christ's name we pray, amen.